You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are really glad that you're here. So I'll tell you, a few years ago, I flew into New York City for a conference. I was already not happy about it because I had to fly into New York City, of which I am not a fan. I know, it's the city so nice, they named it twice. You can keep it. It's like, I just love the energy. That's not energy that you feel. That is what happens when the smell of sewer hits your brain. Uh, anyway, but if you like it, that's all, that's fine. But anyway, so I get to New York City, and uh, we had booked a, a room at the same place where the conference that we were going to was. So we land in New York City, and it was a Wednesday, and we wanted to go to this church service of a church in the city. So we said from the airport, like we told the cabbie, like, hey, look, just take us to this church so we can go to the church service. After the church service, then we take a cab to Rockefeller Center, which is where we were going to be staying. And that's when we got the bad news, which is that the hotel had water damages. Some of the rooms were unavailable. So they were moving us to their sister location on Wall Street, which is not close. I was very unhappy about that. But when I thought that my other between if, if my options are Wall Street or the street, I'm going with Wall Street. So. Anyway, so we get to the hotel, and I am shocked because it was just like a hotel room, only smaller. And uh, I'm not even joking. One of the things that I did was when I stretched out my arms, when I got into the room, I could almost touch both walls. And it it was, I was very disturbed by, by that. And I'm sorry, I know it's a little early for some of you, and I don't mean to be crass, but when I walked into the bathroom, the toilet was so close to the wall it's imp- it was, I'm like, it is impossible for a person to use this, so, which just made me, I'm just holding until I get back to Florida. And so that's just what I'm doing. And so anyway, um, so, but I call down and I, and I tell the, this poor lady at the front office, at the, the front desk, and I'm like, look, this room is not acceptable. And I don't know, you think like the Smurfs or something are going to be using the restroom here, but that's not going to work. And then she said, listen, this is, this is all we've got. It's that or nothing. And so I'm like, I'll take this. Uh, and so anyway, so I begrudgingly am okay. And then they told us, hey, don't worry. When you get to our sister restaurant on Wall Street, we're going to have all the restaurants are going to be open. That turned out to be a lie. And, uh, but I did go to a new restaurant that I hadn't been to. It was called Third Floor Vending Machine and uh, really had a nice meal there involving Funyuns and a soda. And, um, and so anyway, now here's the weird part of, of the whole thing. Remember I told you I'd gone to a church service before, right, when I got in. And in that church service, man, we were singing about trusting God. And we were singing, teaching, you know, the teaching was on how, like, Jesus is all we need when we're going through tough times. And I'm like, yes, that's right. And then I walk, I mean, I'm worshiping and engaging and all of that. And I walked out the door and could not make the connection that Jesus was speaking to me. And that 15 minutes later, I was going to have to live out the message that I heard. And I was totally oblivious to it. And I'm telling you, I believe that this happens all the time. Where God is at work and we miss him speaking to us simply because our spiritual antenna aren't up, aren't, um, aren't up. And the noise of this life is drowning our ability to hear him. 
Now, here's what you can be sure of, is that God wants to use you. God wants to lead you in your life. If you'll allow him to direct your life, he'll do amazing things in and through you and for you. Because sometimes we're waiting for God to speak to us like the burning bush experience, right? But most of the time, that's not how it works. By the way, you know, the burning bush, that was like a one-time thing. That's not like don't walk up to every shrub and set it on fire and think God, you know, that's not usually how it works. But um, most of the time, God is speaking to us in whispers. And I believe that there's really no greater skill that you can learn than to know how God is leading you and directing you and and speaking to you. Because if you don't, you'll spend your whole life like you're driving in a fog. And so today in our text, I want to spend some time talking about this topic of being directed by God, led by God, um, because we're going to see someone who is directed by God away from a move of God, something that God's doing to something that he didn't even have any idea what God was going to be leading him towards, and yet it was so powerful. And this is what I think is so important. Listen, as Christians, we need to know when God is speaking to us and open ourselves up to God for God to speak to us. Because sometimes we don't, we don't hear God, and if we're being honest, sometimes we don't hear God because we've already decided what we're going to do anyway, and we aren't listening. And sometimes we don't hear because there's just too much noise in our, in our busy lives. And sometimes we haven't opened ourselves up to the possibility that God wants to talk to us and that God wants to speak to us in a way that's always consistent with the Bible. Now, listen, your heavenly father loves you and your heavenly father wants to lead you and direct you and speak into your life if, and this is the big if, if we are presupposed to obey him when we hear him speaking. So we're going to find ourselves today in the book of Acts, chapter 8. This is where we've been working our way through, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in chapter 8, and we've met this uh, young man named Philip, who's been preaching um, in in central Israel, in an area that's called Samaria. A revival has broken out. We talked about that last time. But now, God's going to give him, you know, this change of plans. Look what happens in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Now, three things that we're going to look at in in regards to being directed by the Lord. The first is this, if you're a note taker, and that is that I need to listen for God's voice. And I know for some of us, the, it can sound odd, like listening for God's voice. Isn't it like when you talk to God, it's prayer. When God talks to you, you're crazy, right? And some people would think that, but no, listen, God wants to speak to you. If you're a Christian, God wants to talk to you, wants to direct you. And, and listen, uh, a, a few weeks ago, I told you the story about when I was finishing college and I was offered this uh, job as a worship leader um, at this church in uh, Hollandale. And I prayed about it and, re- you know, God was not leading me to do that and, and really felt like God was uh, calling me to teach the Bible. And, and I thought that was the end of it. But then what I didn't tell you is the part of the story that happens a couple months later. Shortly after that, uh, I, the dean of the school calls me back in again, and he says, hey, what are you doing after graduation? I said, oh, I don't know. And he said, well, um, I have a friend, and he, this guy had used, used to be an instructor at the, uh, 
college that I was there, and he had left to go start a church in Hawaii. And he said, well, listen, your name came up in a conversation, and he wants you to go and be the worship pastor at his church in Hawaii. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to pray about that. Uh, and so I went home. I was so excited. I told my wife, I'm like, honey, you're never going to believe this. You know, um, this professor, he's starting a church in, in he, or he's got, he took over this church in Hawaii. They need a worship pastor. They want me to be the, past, the worship pastor of the, of the church in Hawaii. Let's go. And, uh, and she's like, well, shouldn't we pray about it? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Let's pray about it as we're packing our bags to go to Hawaii and live there. And, uh, and, and because somebody has to suffer for Jesus in Hawaii full time, right? Somebody's got to go and it may as well be us. And so, and, 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 and I'm telling you, I, I didn't go. And this was the part that was, and she was, she said to me, she's like, didn't, remember when the other opportunity came and you were, you, you, you were so sure that God had called you to teach the Bible? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I called the guy back. And I'm like, Pastor, listen, I really feel called to teach. Is there any opportunity that as the worship pastor of this church, I would have the opportunity to teach at some point? And he's like, well, I don't know, maybe at some point in the future. And I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance. Okay. And, uh, and then anyway, but I was, that we didn't go. And, uh, and I'm glad I didn't go. Um, I spent the next four and a half years running a college and it was amazing, teaching two, three classes a semester. And I didn't even realize what was happening when I was teaching that. But this was um, really kind of fanning into flame the, 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 the teaching gift that I had to get me ready to come and uh, start pastoring here at Calvary. And can I just encourage you in this? Um, the, the, our, the Calvary staff just did this. If you go upstairs today after the service, some of you have never been uh, upstairs in this. Some of you don't even know the church has an upstairs. You're like, there's stairs, but where do they go? To the roof, Right. No, we, we run a traditional Cuban cafe in, in this church. And, uh, but if you go upstairs, right next to the elevator, um, our staff put together this history wall of our church. And there's uh, a shovel from our grand opening and uh, a hard hat from when the building was under construction. There's um, some, uh, you know, a letter from Senator Marco Rubio when we congratulating us on the building. Uh, anyway, a whole bunch of fun stuff. But anyway, there's also the program of our very first service, the very first invite card that we had. A lot of fun stuff up there. If you check it out, I, I, I saw th th this, I hadn't seen it yet. And I walked in this morning and I saw, I, mean, I was moved to tears by it. And, uh, and, and I just, and, and I'm realizing, you know, and I was thinking about this and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't go. Like, man, Hawaii ain't got nothing on this place. And um, so, but this is the beauty of God leading us one step at a time. Now, let's talk about a couple things about the text. Um, twice in these verses, in verse 26 and in verse 30, it says the spirit spoke to Philip and then the spirit said to Philip, go and overtake the chariot. Now, we're not exactly sure how God spoke, but there's a couple of important principles of spiritual life that I want to talk about as we get into this. And so how did God speak to Philip? We aren't told. Um, but we did say that God is always going to speak in a way that's consistent with the Bible. So if you feel like, you know, man, I feel like God's telling me to rob a bank. Like that, yeah, that's not consistent with the Bible. Don't do that or you will have a prison ministry from the inside. And uh, so, but that's why I believe that the best thing we can do is start reading the Bible so we can start learning what God's voice sounds like. And the best way to learn what God's voice sounds like is to learn his voice from the pages of scripture so that you know what it sounds like when he's speaking to you. 
Now, as I mentioned, as far as Philip goes, could it have been an audible voice? Sure. Could it have been a prophetic word that was given? Maybe. Uh, could it have been something uh, where God was just speaking to his heart through a personal impression that he got? Absolutely. Could have been any of those things. Now, here's the thing that I would say, especially, not exclusive to, but especially if you're a newer Christian, test what you hear. You feel like, man, I feel like God's telling me to do something. Test it uh, to make sure that what you're hearing is from God. In the book of 1 John, now, you know that Jesus had 12 disciples, a main disciples that became apostles. And um, they were, uh, one of them was John. He was one of the inner three. And he wrote this in the book of 1 John. He said, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. Now, how do you do that? Very practically. When you feel like God is leading you to do something, one way that you can do it is ask someone who's a mature Christian. Hopefully you know someone who is a mature believer and you ask them what, hey, this is what I think God is leading me to do. Does that jive? Um, Does that like, you know, and once again, if you are more mature, you can always still ask for advice, right? And the multitude of counselors, there's, there's safety, Proverbs tells us. But I remember when I felt called to come start this church almost 23 years ago, that Um, I asked people that I respected, people that knew me and loved me and loved God. And I remember going to see my pastor and asking him uh, and saying, hey, can I just get some counsel on this? And and, and he just said, hey, this is, I've always known this was the path that you were going to take. And he was confirming what others had already said. And um, now, let me back up the story a little bit. Uh, Prior to telling anyone, my wife and I felt, started feeling called, and this was kind of back to where we had taken a tour of Israel and we had, during that time, we really felt like God was leading us to come and to go somewhere. And then we started thinking that maybe it was to go south. And I kind of wanted to go anywhere but south. I grew up in Boston, and then I had um, moved to Florida, and I just wanted to go. I'd thought of going back to Boston and starting a church, and then I realized that it's better to be from Boston than to be in Boston. And I was like, you know what? The Northeast and me are done. And, um, but then I thought, I'm going to go to Colorado and start. That was like as far west as I could think. And I'm going to start Calvary of the Rocky Mountains. That was the name of the church that I was going to start. And I remember I was still in college, and um, we had a class on Tuesday night. I want to say maybe the book of Acts. It might have been the Gospel of Matthew, but I think it was the book of Acts. And uh, this pastor comes in, and the professor's like, hey, come on up. Hey, this is this guy, and he introduced him. And he's like, this guy's the pastor of Calvary in the Rocky Mountains. And I'm like, that hound dog stole the name of my church. I can't believe this guy. Well, anyway, so that was dashed. I'm like, well, I guess forget Colorado. That's already taken. Well, anyway, but we started feeling like maybe God was calling us to not go north, but to go even further south. And so... um, we decided that we were going to pray and fast for three days. I mean, just water and prayer. That was going to be it. And so we were going to pray and fast for three days if, to see if God was leading us. And um, we didn't tell anyone. Well, on day two of our fast, I get a forwarded email um, from the assistant to my pastor. And um, she just said, hey, why don't you pray about this? That's all that, that, that it said. And in the email was a guy who lived down here that was driving all the way up to the church. And he's like, hey, is it possible? I know this sounds crazy, but is there anyone on your staff, maybe one of your associate pastors, that would want to drive, that would want to move south and come start a church? If they did, we'd be happy to help. And, um, and man, I printed that email out. It's like, who could have known that that email came in the day that we were fasting after everything that had already happened um, over the last few months, kind of leading us to get to a point to think that maybe God would, 
um, want us to go start this. I printed that email out and treated it like it was a page in the Bible. Uh, and uh, people say to me, like, man, I wish God would email me. I got one. It's pretty awesome. And, um, and so, but that's what made me feel comfortable to even talking about it. Now, a few weeks later, when I went to go see, once again, I, I, I spent four years running a college. And so I was talking, I had a meeting set up with my pastor. I could talk to him about a few things that were happening at the school. And, um, and so in the meeting, he says, well, hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, and I had this whole list of things that I want to talk to you about the school. And he's like, hey, uh, put the school stuff on pause. We want to offer you this promotion. And so I was like, okay. Tell, you know, and he's like, this is what we want to do. We see God working in your life. I'm like, okay. And he's like, but if you come in here and tell me that you're like, I don't know, I want to go start a church or something, that's going to change things. And I'm like, well, funny you should say that. Uh, and so, and that's, what, that's what began the conversation. My, my point is this, and, and is the more that you and I press into God, and the more that you decide that whatever God tells you to do, you're going to obey, the easier it is to hear his voice. Prayer and fasting, asking for wise counsel, these are all ways to, to get confirmation. And there's going to be moments, listen, this happens to everybody, there's going to be moments where you feel God is leading you, and then you start kind of doing the, the test and checking. Maybe you take some time to pray and fast. Maybe you talk to some people and you're like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they're like, oh, are you trying to destroy your life? You know, and it's like, no, but is that the right? No, 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 that's not, you don't want to do that. And then you know what that tells you to do? And maybe you don't leave, let it go completely. Maybe what you do is it just, that's the moment to slow down. I, maybe I'm not hearing correctly. I need to slow down and see what God wants me to do. Listen, most of the time we miss what God is telling us because we aren't patient enough to slow down and wait and see what it is that God wants to do. Now, the second thing I want to talk about in relation to how God speaks to us is that God gives us one instruction at a time. Can I, I this is so important to me. Um, so let me see, we have a map because nothing makes anything more exciting than a map. Um, that's at least Dora's advice. And so, appreciate those of you that got that. Okay, so Philip, remember if, if you were with us in our last message, Philip had left Jerusalem right here, and he had gone up to Samaria, and in Samaria, this incredible revival had broken out. And so, um, he's up here in Samaria, and now lots of people in Samaria are coming to know Jesus, and then God speaks to him and says, hey, uh, I want you to go south. I want you to go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's this uh, trail right here. By the way, some of this Roman road has been unearthed, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So he goes from here down to Jerusalem to the beginning of this road, which is about 40 miles, and then he's on this road. This is a 50-mile stretch, and he doesn't get any more instruction. I want you to go south, go to the road that links Jerusalem to Gaza. It's the desert. And so he goes down there, and, and listen, and he, this is so important. If he was to ask any more questions, there are going to be no more answers. Because one of the things that I have learned now in 30 plus years of walking with God is that as you obey, more information is revealed. But you don't get more information until you've obeyed step one. That's when step two shows up. And so he shows up, and he's not told why. Lord, you know there's like this great revival going on here, and I've been kind of at the center of it. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of administering. You know, no, no, yeah, I want you to go and be, and be part of that. Listen, it's much easier to hear God's voice when you're planning on obeying. I have found that God isn't speaking very much when we're, we're taking everything that he says under advisement. 
God reveals his will to us for our participation, not simply to be part of the consideration of what we're going to do. And, but if you will get in the habit of obeying God's voice when he speaks to you, listen, you'll be amazed at how you can hear him, and you'll be amazed at what God does in your life. A while back, I, this is a few years ago, I had to get a part for my daughter's bike. And so Mia's bike had this, some issue thing. I needed a part. I went to this bike shop. The bike, did, the, the part, they didn't have it. And so I'm like, you know what? I should have done what I planned to do. I'm just going to order it, and uh, it'll be here in a couple days. And so anyway, but as I'm driving home, I said to myself, I should go to Walmart. They might have it. Now, here's the thing you have to understand. I never go to Walmart. Um, I don't like Walmart, and uh, it's a disaster. Every time I walk in, I feel like there's like a, we're in the process of a humanitarian crisis. As it's happened, you know, things look like, they, like bombs have gone off. It's such a disaster. I've had my identity stolen at Walmart. It's a disaster. They may be the nicest people in the world, but I'm not going. I went a stretch of 10 years in my life where I did not walk into a Walmart. Happiest 10 years of my life. Anyway, so I walk, for whatever reason, I hadn't been to Walmart, like I said, in almost 10 years. I walk into Walmart, break my streak, and um, I go to the bike, the, the bike station. They have the piece. As I'm there, I, these two guys, my, I see these two guys walking up to me. And they say, Pastor Bob, is that you? And I'm like, yes, it is. And one of the guys is like, Pastor, can I talk to you for a minute? I was just praying that God would send, some, send me some direction, and then I saw you. I said, okay. And uh, so we talk for a few minutes and tells me what's going on in his life. And, and um, I pray for him. I, I can't, sometimes, listen, I do this. Like if, 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 if you see me somewhere and something's going on, I'm just going to pray for you wherever we are. I don't care. If we might be in the middle of Publix, we're doing this. And uh, so, uh, and I say, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I don't know how much the other customers appreciate it, but, um, but we're, gonna, we're going for it if I see you. Anyway, so. <laughs> so anyway, so I pray for him in the bike section of, of Walmart. And, uh, and as he's walking away, I said, hey, listen, never question how much God loves you. And he said, why? And I said, because God told me to go to Walmart. And uh, you don't even understand what it took to get me here. So Jesus loves you. I'm out. And so anyway, now what's the point? The point is, is that if you will obey God in step one, go down to the road. And he's, he's going down, Lord, what exactly do you want me to do? Is there anything in particular? Go down to the road. And nothing, no other, no other um, words, no other commands, no other information. Go down to the road. And when he obeys to go down to the road, in verse 29, it says, Then the Spirit said, Go, overtake that chariot. What happens next? Look at verse 30. He says this, Then Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip, and said, I ask you, to whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. If you pause there and give me your attention. The first thing that we said is if I'm going to be directed by the Lord, the first thing I've got to do is listen for God's voice. The second thing I have to do is accept the Bible's authority. Now, 
Let me give you a little bit of background on the, the person that Philip is talking to. This eunuch, we're told, uh, serves Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Here's the thing you have to know about that. What Candace wasn't her name. Candace is a title. Like Pharaoh or Caesar, uh, the queen mother of the kingdom of the Ethiopians was called uh, Candace. Now, the Ethiopian empire at this time was, was huge. In fact, we have a map um, here. This is a modern map, but what we have, is, this is the country of Ethiopia. The kingdom of Ethiopia took a lot of Somalia and most of Sudan and really encompassed this area where the Nile deltas. So this kind of this whole area here is the kingdom of the Ethiopians. The Roman Empire saw this as kind of the ends of the earth. Someday I'll tell you the story of how I almost moved to Liberia to uh, launch a bunch of Bible colleges, but that's a story for another time. Anyway, so this is a huge kingdom. This guy, this eunuch, is the... It says that he was in charge of all the treasury of, uh, of, for, for the country. Essentially, this is a, uh, he's, you know, the uh, finance minister. But eunuchs were typically those who managed the harems of kings. Now, kings in that culture had a lot of women around, and so the eunuchs managed the housing of these women, so no one was with them besides the king and whatnot. Now, you might say, hold on, so there was... If it was like Pharaoh or Caesar, you're saying that there was a king of the Ethiopians. Yes, there was a king of the Ethiopians. So why does it say that he's serving the queen of the Ethiopians and not the king? Because the ancient Ethiopians believed that kings were incarnations of the sun god and dealing with matters of state were beneath a god having to deal with. So the queen mother, typically it was the mother of the, the king, was the one that was given the title of Candace and she was the one that ran the entire country. And... This eunuch is the one that reports to her. Now, what we do know is that he is returning to Jerusalem. After uh, He has gone to Jerusalem for probably one of the feast days. And it, it is pretty interesting to me. We don't know a lot about him. What we do know is that he is wealthy enough to own his own scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading it out loud, which is typically what was done in that culture. You would always read the scriptures out loud. And he's reading this as uh, he's on his way back home to Ethiopia. That's why Philip has to run and catch up and overtake the chariot. So he comes in and he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch's like, man, how can I know what I'm reading unless somebody guides me? And the eunuch is reading a passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, which speaks of God's suffering servant. It is probably the most messianic passage in all of the Old Testament. This passage is so powerful, predicting the arrest, beating, and crucifixion of Jesus that it is quoted nine separate times in the New Testament as a fulfillment of prophecy. Well, Philip just so happens to show up as the eunuch is just so happening to be reading Isaiah 53 out loud. My friends, this is what we in Christian culture call a divine appointment. Uh, this is a moment where God orchestrates a situation in such a way that it could just only be God who was putting it together. I had a guy uh, a few years ago tell me the story of how he came to Calvary. And um, I liked it so much, I put the story in one of my books, but he was in the backseat of a car, the car was parked, and he was praying, saying, God, I, 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 need to, I need to go to church, but I don't know where to go. And he cracks open the window. And as he's doing that, someone is walking by, and they take an invite to Calvary and throw it 
into the crack of the window in the back seat of the car. This is like strategic evangelistic littering, by the way, and uh, which, anyway, that's a conversation for another time, but somebody takes their, the invite, tosses it in the car, and it lands on the seat right next to them. He picks, this guy's just been praying about where to go to church. He picks up the card and says, you're invited to Calvary, and he's like, yes, Lord, I'm going, you know, and it's, it's just, right, what is that? That's a divine appointment. And sometimes God will do it with physical things. Listen, sometimes God will just bring encouragement and uh, direction just at, at the right moment. As I mentioned, when we were getting ready to start Calvary, um, we're, we're celebrating 23 years in a couple of weeks. I'm feeling a bit nostalgic, so forgive me. Um, so uh, when we were probably about a week and a half away from having our very first service 23 years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine. Um, asking if he could send me a fax. Now, I know I'm dating myself big time. And so, you know, I'm like, well, if you don't want to etch it in stone, you could send it a fax. And uh, so, but just to give you an idea, he was going to send me a fax, but I had a beeper on my, on my belt loop. So anyway, so I'm in my office at the college that I used to run. And here's the thing you've got to know is that that morning I had awoken in a panic. And I, I, I am... Um, I'm a fairly confident person, especially when I know what God wants me to do. I just kind of go in um, head first. But I had woken up that morning, and I, and I was like, I knew God had called us to start this church. But I woke up that morning, man, and I like fear had just gripped me. Like, what happens if we go down there and we just fail? And what if it's just nothing happens? And then, because I, I had recently heard about two other guys that had gone out to start churches. And, you know, when you go and start a church and nobody shows up, that's weird. And then... Um, and then the next week, nobody, eventually you're like, man, maybe I didn't really hear God right. And then these guys had shut down the churches that they had started and were just really like, man, I'm just wondering what, what did, I, did I not hear correctly? Anyway, and I just started thinking like, these two guys, I'm going to be number three. As we're going to do this, I'm going to be a total disaster. It's going to be a failure, an embarrassment. I'm never going to recover from this. I'm, now I'm off to the races. And um, anyway, so I'm sitting in my office, like trying to get myself together when my friend calls me and says, hey, can I send you a fax? And I said, yeah. And he goes, okay, um, go over. You, you know, I'm sending it now. Which, by the way, he said he was sending it now. He waited like 15 minutes. But I walk over to, we had a mail room. So I walk over to the mail room. And I'm just, I'm standing there. Like, there's the facts. I'm literally just watching. You know, they, a watched clock doesn't, or what is it? A watched pot doesn't boil. A watched fax doesn't produce a fax. So I'm just standing there waiting. Eventually, um, the fax comes through. And all it is is two Bible verses. And then uh, he just, and he wrote in the margin, he said, um, I read this this morning and thought of you praying for your first service. Let me read you the verses. It's from the book of Acts. He says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Listen, that moment, you don't understand what those two verses did in my faith, in my, it was like, I mean, I felt like I was breathing oxygen again. Like, yes, this is what God had called me to do. It was a divine appointment where God's word met me right where I needed, right with what, exactly what I needed and spoke faith and clarity into my life. And my friends, what I'm telling you is, is that if you'll be open to God, 
as you seek to obey him. He'll bring those divine appointments in your life, confirm his leading, and meet you with resources that you didn't even know were available. Well, look what happens next. Remember, Stephen, uh, or excuse me, Philip is preaching Jesus to him from that scripture. I mean, perfect. Look what happens in verse 36. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And Philip, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and he baptized him. Now, when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing we're going to look at, and that is, if I want to be directed by the Lord, I need to walk in obedience. This is a beautiful scene where the eunuch asks to be baptized because he believes. He has heard the gospel, he believes, and now he wants to respond to that belief with what Jesus commands us to do as believers, which is to be baptized. And one of my favorite things that we do here is baptize people because, and here's why I love it, because baptism is what separates the fans of Jesus from the followers of Jesus. Now, baptism originally referred to a ceremonial washing, was was called a mikvah, which is a pool that they, you would enter into uh, to be ceremonially cleansed. Uh, If you were Jewish, you'd be ceremonially cleansed to go into the temple to worship. Or if you were a Gentile, you would be immersed in the mikvah so that you would be converting to Judaism. Now, this became part of Christian ceremony when John the Baptist began baptizing people. But what caused all the religious leaders to go to to the the, uh, edge of the Jordan River is John the Baptist was baptizing Jews, which was unheard of. And the reason he was baptizing them is he says, don't think that your heritage is what's going to cause you to be right with God. You've got to get right with God by living the way he wants you to live. The disciples of Jesus also baptized as people were making decisions to follow Jesus. But baptism is this picture of saying goodbye to the old life. It's when you go into the water, you identify with Jesus in his death. And then you come up out of the water and identify with Jesus in his resurrection. And that's what, exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. And there really is something wonderful that happens when you go into the water of baptism and that God really does begin working on you. I remember... One of the first baptisms I was ever involved in as a really young pastor, I don't even know if I was shaving regularly or not, um, but um, there was people there to be baptized. And so a guy comes up to me and, and a friend and, uh, who were baptizing that day, and he said, hey, I'm giving up the old life, and that includes smoking. And so we're in the water, and this is at the beach, and um, he hands me this brand new pack of cigarettes symbolizing that he's done with that part of his life. And uh, by the way, I used to have people ask me this question all the time. Will I go to hell if I smoke? And I always answer the same way. No, but you'll smell like you've been there. And, um, and so anyway, so the guy hands me these, this pack of cigarettes. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, you know, because we still have a bunch of people. So I just, uh, I'm wearing these shorts. So I put them in the pocket of my shorts. And I, then I just, I just keep baptizing people. Well, then we get done with the baptism. I forget all about it. 
and uh, change my clothes, go back home, and then I have all my wet baptism clothes in this duffel bag. And so um, then my wife is doing laundry, and so she's like, hey, give me all the stuff from the baptism, I'll throw it in. So I go, and then um, she calls me. And then um, I walk out, and she's standing outside of our laundry room holding this wet pack of cigarettes. And she's like, hey, is, is there something I don't know about? Are you struggling? And I'm like, no. And I told her the story. And then we, we laughed. And then we shared a smoke. And uh, <laughs> that is a joke, by the way. That is a joke. That is a joke. I've never smoked anything in my life of any kind except brisket. That's the only thing that I smoke is brisket. And uh, now, and I, I always worry when I say that. It's like every once in a while people say like, you know, I watched online. I'm like, well, that was your first problem. And, uh, but then the, 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 the message cut off. I'm like, that's why you got to be here in person because it doesn't cut off. And, uh, but anyway, I just, I hope it didn't cut off there because that would be, makes it very awkward. <laughs> Pastor, are you struggling? No, just, just cut off. Anyway, so, but now maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and uh, you were brought up in a tradition that baptized infants like I was. And I remember when I first became a Christian and they talked about baptism, I'm like, oh, got that taken care of. My parents took care of that when I was days old and I have the pictures to prove it. And, but then I started doing some research and, and what I found was is that there's not one instance where the Bible records an infant being baptized. That's a tradition that's developed and the hope was that they would baptize you as an infant so that when you were old enough, you would make a decision to be baptized on your own. But the reason we, be, we are baptized is because you've made a, de a decision to follow Jesus and you're desiring to obey Jesus. And so only a person who understands what baptism is should be baptized. And that's why Peter tells us that baptism is an issue of conscience. He says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Can I encourage you in something? Could it be that the direction that you're looking for from God is on the other side of your obedience to God? On the back of your connection card, one of the things that you'll see as a next step is that we have a baptism happening on September 24th. And can I just encourage you in this? If you have become a Christian and you have not as an adult made a decision to be baptized, this baptism is for you. It's time. It's time to do it. It's time to obey Jesus because listen, sometimes we're praying for God to lead us but we are unsure as to what we're supposed to do. But there's things that we already know to do that have been left undone. I've said this for years to people who are struggling to make a decision and, 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 they've, and they've become kind of paralyzed as to what they can't do anything else. And I'll tell them this, that a moving car is easier to steer than a parked one. What that means is this, is that obey God in the things that you do know to do. And the areas where you don't know to do will become clearer. My friends, this is why communion is so powerful as well. Because it's the moment that we remember and reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus. What we celebrate in communion is one part of the Passover meal, which is uh, celebrated with unleavened bread. That is bread that hasn't written, uh, risen. The book of Exodus teaches us that the people had to use unleavened bread at the Passover more than um, because they didn't have time. For they didn't have time for it to rise as, as they left, so they, it was unleavened and they took it. The rabbis teach us something else uh, in addition to that. The, the rabbis teach that it's a lesson in humility because by nature we want to puff ourselves up. 
by nature, we want to make ourselves seem like more than we are, like we've got it under control, like we're self-sufficient. But communion reminds us of who we really are. We're unleavened bread. We're broken people who need a Savior. And listen, we're, we don't have it all together, and that's okay. God is still working on me, and he's still working on you, and he's still working on us. And communion is the reminder that he's going to complete what he started. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and they're going to hand out the communion elements. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is hold on to the elements, and we're going to partake of them together as Pastor George leads us. He's my shepherd, and he is everything I need. So I will not worry, I will not fear the enemy. He said that He loves me, He said that He's with me even through. I'll walk through the valley of shadow and death and still I know He has good plans, He has good plans for me so I will take heart in deserts and gardens he has good plans he has good plans for me if I know my father I know my father he has good plans he has good It's in God He has good plans He has good plans for me If I know my Father, I know my Father The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you That the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And Lord, we want to thank you. We thank you for this incredible reminder that we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to have it all worked out. What we have to do is trust you, walk with you, and listen. So Lord, for all of us, whatever we're dealing with, whatever decisions need to be made, whatever looks cloudy and we're unsure, help us, God, to hear your voice, to hear you leading us as we call to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, 
All you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.